0: so when i went for my interview with my counselor he told me that this curriculum was too difficult for me it just changed the whole track of my at that time my life because i just didn't understand that why it was too hard for him but he didn't look at my grades from high school he didn't look at my sat scores he just looked at me and said it was too hard
1: Hello and welcome to A Pixie from Kilmarnock, a program about the people, places, and history of the Northern Neck. I'm your host, Pixie E. Curry. As a little colored girl living in segregated Kilmarnock, I never thought that I would be anything other than the things I understood around me. I was not white, so I wasn't going to be a movie star, a ballerina, a pilot or a scientist. None of the people I saw on the big screen at the drive-in theater or on the small black and white TV that we watched looked like me. But the drive-in was the one place equal in Kilmarnock. I don't think there was a colored section or a whites only section meaning that it was the one place where the fantasy of equality was real. At the drive-in, you saw not only black and white, but color too. My vision of the world changed. That perceived unattainable world was ruled by white people, and it was inhabited predominantly by males. The occasional female in the movies or on the television who was allowed to cross that threshold stood a couple of feet in the back of the smart men. She generally wore thick rimmed glasses. Her opinions considered frivolous and generally patronized, but she was white also. Living on the neck, there is a constant variable, the weather, understanding it and predicting it was and is necessary when you had to fish your crab pots, pull in your fish nets, whether you should even leave the dock, or if you could plant your seeds. In this age of technology, the talented and innovative person who can move the world forward by being able to help us weather the storm, so to speak, is a hero or a shero. I would like to introduce you to a Shiro. I interviewed Alva Jackson, May of 2021. She looks like me, a black woman. She succeeded in the scientific and mathematical world by storm. Literally. So little girls of all colors, listen to this story of a little colored girl who succeeded because she knew she could. And so can we all.
0: My name is Alva Jackson, and I was born in 1958. uh, My present occupation is I'm a software engineer uh, for NOAA on a bed and breakfast. As a software engineer, and I've done that work for over 40 years, I have a bachelor's of science in business administration, a lot of training in computer science, a master's certificate in project management. And I've received many awards. I've, uh, when I was a contractor for NASA, I received several group awards, and that's for the launching of a of those GOES-8, those GOES-9 spacecraft. They're ge- geosynchronous uh, spacecraft. And so I was on those teams called the most team and I was part of uh, the successful launch of those weather satellites. Now, I've actually, I, for the last 23 years, I've worked for NOAA, and um, I've received awards while there. Uh, one in particular is called the Spectrum Award, and that's for uh, making a change for an organization that improves this efficiency and performance. And so that was also a group award. There are other awards, even as a, owner of a business, I've received award, a TripAdvisor Award called the uh, Certificate of Excellence, and I've received that for multiple years, and you get that when your establishment receives a certain level of good reviews over time, so uh, we're a five-star place. I thought that one time that, oh, everybody gets this award as part of being a TripAdvisor, Being a part of that organization, but I found out no, it's only like the top 90% of all their establishment receives the certificate of excellence. So I received that with pride, and I think that's it.
1: Well, um, first of all, okay, wow, I'm impressed. (laughs) What is NOAA?
0: NOAA is N O A A. That's National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration. And so uh, we're charged with this as a government agency. We're charged with um, monitoring the sea monitoring uh, the air and the atmosphere. You get your weather reports uh, for National Weather Service, which is we and my organization, we're in satellite operations. We're responsible for getting data from the spacecraft, the satellites. Down to the ground and shipping it to the National Weather Service. Um, so we're we're constantly watching to be able to warn people and for, make the forecast. And so our systems are all national critical systems because it protects lives, property, and uh, if you don't get those weather reports, you. When I first. Started working for Noah. Uh, first got there, I was like, "Well, what's so secret about the weather? What's so important about the weather?" But I learned that you can't do anything. Uh, buses, travel, airplanes, all of those transportation sources. Uh, first thing you do when you get up in the morning, you look to see, you look out the weather to see what it's gonna be. Look out the window, but everything. So I many industries depend on know what the weather is, and then and when I said about the secret clearance, is that and well, I guess it's okay to say you yeah, have a secret clearance, but anyway, uh, when the military when they're doing certain maneuvers, they're really looking at all types of weather profiles to decide how to make their weather maneuvers, and so if certain countries see that we're streaming this data, and they, they can prepare themselves. They say, oh, they're ready to make a uh, move. So that's why when that data is being streamed to the military, that that's uh, privileged information. So anyway, um, that's what NOAA stands for.
1: Not only with the military, they work with other entities, uh, private and public sectors.
0: Well, yeah. Um, if you look at some of your weather uh, channels or some whenever you see weather stations, they have a little logo up there sometime on the weather report. So we work with all entities to, get, uh, to provide weather. But there's a little NOAA logo up in the corner. Sometimes there's a NASA logo because they were responsible for launching the satellite, but they launched them for NOAA. NOAA pays for the, the building, the engineering of the spacecraft. And so, and, and NASA was responsible for the launching of it. But we work with all kinds of organizations, so we have a lot of various users. And some of them can get the data live, for instance, um, on boats or whatever. The data can just be streamed if they have a system um, to receive the data. They can receive the live. A private private individuals can receive some of that data that comes down so that they can. You know, on ships and all kinds of things, they can uh, they depend on that weather report. Mm-hmm. And it's not just weather. Uh, when I say you have fisheries, so we have to understand what's happening in the seas, you know. Uh, so there is atmospheric and ocean- oceanic and atmospheric. We have to understand what's going on, icebergs and all kinds of things. Uh, we have to provide those kind of reports. Where are you from? I'm from Reesville, Virginia, proudly, I say. You
1: moved from Reesville and you went. Elsewhere,
0: um, actually born in Richmond, you know, in the hospital, uh, but I'm from here. We live in Reville. Reville is the northern neck of Virginia. I'm what, uh, but when I was about four or five, we relocated to the Washington metropolitan area, and that's where I grew up. I, I went to school, public schools in Washington, D.C., and uh, that's where I was. And I went away to college. I didn't even go away. I went to University of Maryland, so. Um I did stay on campus, but that's where I uh, was educated, in the Washington, D.C. area, Washington metropolitan area, I should
1: say. Tell me about your grandparents, your your, your Mar- Margaret.
0: My grandparents were uh, Andrew and Margaret Jackson. Andrew was a fisherman and a farmer. Um, the other thing he did that was uh, valued in the community is he spoke, smoked meat. He smoked ham. That was a trade his father taught him how to do. So um, he made good money in the community by smoking people's hands and and uh, smoking their meat for them. Uh, my grandmother, she raised uh, different types of uh, chicken, chickens and guinea hens, and, and she would sell her eggs at the local grocery store, um, and we actually had a apple orchard back here and had a cherry tree and she would make preserves as well, make different jams and preserves and sell those also. So this was like a community house. A lot of people have fond memories of this house and and what it meant to them when they were uh, younger or when they were growing up. So I want to carry on that tradition to uh, people when they are traveling or in the community. This is a place of, uh, of happiness and lots of love.
1: You have a beautiful establishment. I mean, the inside is just glorious, and on your front <laughs> lawn, you. front lawn, you got that huge love sign.
0: Correct. Right, yes. Yeah. Um, and we got that love sign. Uh, there was a grant out, and you uh, it was for businesses and establishments, and uh, so you had to write a proposal for why you thought your business or establishment should have, uh, you know, Virginia's for lovers, so the love sign, you see love letters um, at various establishments. So I wrote a letter, or I wrote a proposal about what this place meant to me and what it meant to the community. And as a result, I was approved for a grant to build the love uh, letters. We uh, actually, it, we made it a community event. We hosted a art contest at the high school, Northumberland high school. And there were a lot of entries. I can't remember how many, and we actually had uh, judges and uh, it was a big event. And uh, we chose the love letters that I have uh, for my place. And we had a reception and, uh, Then we had to find someone to build it. And then uh, when that was complete, we actually had another uh, event here to share the love letters with the community. So that was a great time.
1: Mm, When was that?
0: I was afraid you're going to ask me that. <laughs>
1: probably. I mean, like. <laughs> it
0: probably <that>. was. <laughs> it probably was around 2012, maybe.
1: It's been a while. When did you actually establish uh, the bed and breakfast?
0: Uh, April of 2009 is when I opened the bread, bed and breakfast.
1: Was Was it a hard decision? Was it something that you had been thinking about? or?
0: Well, uh, I, I was a. Uh, caterer. I've catered for many years. Uh, kind of one of my other jobs that I do on the side. <laughs> and so uh, I was thinking about making it a restaurant. I just knew I wanted to do something with the property. And and uh, I never thought about a bed and breakfast, but we had a family meeting and uh, now my brother, who was at that time market director, marketing director for McDonald's, uh, he chimed in and he said, look, um, people will open up restaurants every day and it's like has one of the highest failure rates, even as successful as McDonald's is, there are uh, McDonald's establishments that fail. And so for you to open up a restaurant, you know, that's it's just uh, the rate of failure is so high. But since you like to cook for people and host them, why don't you think about a better breakfast? And when he said that, it was like a light bulb came on in my head and I was like, I think that's what I would do. I had never even at that time, I had never even stayed at a bed of breakfast, but somehow the idea was just so exciting to me. So I actually started on a track to uh, visit bed of and breakfast and, and do my little checklist to see see the things I liked and things I didn't like. And um, so that I could create the best bed of breakfast. And, um, and that's what I did. So um, that's that's how that came about. So he likes getting credit for saying, well, I'm the one who told her <laughs> to do the bed and breakfast. So I give him his proper credit for that.
1: <laughs> Brothers are like that. Yes. <laughs> well, I seem to remember that you also was part of the tavern, that you uh, had a wonderful reputation for some of the meals that you provided at, the tavern that was in Heathville, correct?
0: Correct. But I had a restaurant at the tavern. They had I had done some catering for some of the members. So they have a high they had a high turnover of um, people who own restaurants there primarily because of the location of the place. But anyway they had come to me Uh, twice before and it kind of asked me about how would I feel about that and I was like ah that's not something I want to do and and then I said to myself I said you know if they come back to me a third time I might actually try that so that's what happened they came back a third time and I said I'll do it and so I just took a crew of people up there we cleaned that place up and just kind of changed the face of it uh added lighting and um we just did a lot of things to change around put seating on the outside and and then we came up with our specialty menu uh there were dishes that I had been working on I had an oyster taco and and uh people that was one of the specialties people came uh, to get oyster tacos and then I had uh a double decker uh grilled cheese with bacon and and le- uh, bacon and tomato people like that and I had a a colossal sweet potato biscuit with ham, drizzled with butter and, and honey. Mm. Uh, so, <laughs> Excuse me, I'm just
1: wiping the drool off the corner of my mouth. Okay?
0: <laughs> uh, so some of, those are some of the dishes that we came up with that people really seemed to enjoy.
1: I can remember reading an article about you at the Tavern, and they had a picture of that oyster taco, and my mom and I, we just, you know, thought about how can we eat this and what we have, you know, I mean, the picture was just so, mm, and you, could, you could hear the crunch.
0: You could hear the crunch. Oh,
1: oh my goodness, it was wonderful. You were saying that you was project manager?
0: Yeah. So I have a master certificate in project management. There are a lot of projects that I've managed or have managed over the years for upgrading systems, building systems, and even I was uh, I was contract management certified as well, so I've also over, I was also responsible to oversee one of the biggest contracts that NOAA has, and uh, at that time, one of the biggest, and so there I've managed multiple types of projects, and um, I've sat on review boards for the building of ground systems, so I would have to travel to the site where the contractor, uh, where they were actually building the equipment, and... We would have to, oh gosh, go for reviews. They were like a week-long review, where you would sit and you would go through slide after slide, and you would have to try to uh, verify that what they are building is what we need, and identify any problems problems that you saw. So I, I've I've been I've taken part in a, a lot of different kinds of projects.
1: Although so those skill sets probably really were. Instrumental in helping you to establish your bed and breakfast too. I mean,
0: oh well, yeah, I guess so. Um, um, I once I decided that's what I wanted to do. I uh, got in my mind what I wanted this house to look like. Uh, the original house was was twelve hundred square feet, so it was a small house, and I added uh, over three, almost four thousand square foot to the house. And so I designed, I put it on paper, drew it out, tried, I tried to. Uh, make everything to scale, but I still had to take it to an engineer so he could make a, make the blueprint from it. But I designed it, and then I did have a contractor, but I selected all the materials. I actually um, would go to auctions and buy materials because I wanted to stay true to the period that the house was built. Uh, and so I would actually go looking for doors and looking for even the door down to the doorknob. I went and I bought a lot of those things in bulk, which uh, was a big savings to the project. Um, And I bought, yeah, I just bought a lot of equipment and bought a lot of building material and um, would have them delivered here or have to get a U-Haul truck and bring it down myself. So I was, it was very much a project, but it was a labor of love.
1: I can imagine. How how long did it take you to uh, complete the project
0: i say from start to finish from the time that we did the groundbreaking it probably just took a little over a year because it was during the time that the housing market had crashed there were a lot of people out of work so you at any given time you come came past the house and it was like ants on an anthill it was they were all over the house building and uh so it didn't take long probably what took the longest is every time i would come down because i still was working in maryland and coming down here doing uh, every weekend, or sometimes midweekend and I'd come and I would change something. No, I don't like that door there. Close that wall up. Put it over there. <laughs> I know they love so, you. Uh, yeah, right. It's like I'm not moving this wall again. <laughs> but uh, I, there, there were. Uh, it, for the most part, it went very smooth, and I and I definitely was. Uh, the builder was very good and uh, worked with me. He would present his ideas, and, and uh, we would talk about it. And so uh, I think the final product, uh, I'm very pleased with.
1: It's beautiful. No no questions. Very beautiful.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
1: You were living in the Washington, D.C. area. Were you in a segregated or
0: integrated school? I'm segregated. Um, most of all the schools at the time in in my area were all black. Um, uh, But my high school, So, but we did have a few um, um, white teachers sprinkled here and there. Um, And my high school, because it was close to a base, Bowling Air Force Base, they would bust those kids in. But they were kind of like in a special program and they kind of were in classes by themselves. So we want to call that integrated? I don't know. I don't think I met one of those students the whole time I was there. But so, but we had a good program at our school as well. We were the first math science school in Washington, D.C., Baloo High School. It gave me great opportunity with the funding and the programs that they had. I was able to get early experience with computer science and, and advance in math because of the programs that we had at our school.
1: So, you excelled in a particular uh, curriculum? Sounds like you probably already had a head start. Mm-hmm. Like, and it, it sounds like, you know, that you had a real interest in uh, math and science.
0: Well, I don't know if I would say an interest, I would say um, that math and science came easy to me. And so I don't know that I just focus and say, oh, I really like math. I I probably would say I like science more than I like math, but I could do math and it it just was was easy for me. Uh, I did have an interest in science. But, you know, I really think my interest is kind of, if I would have been, with the proper guidance, I probably would have been in engineering. Because everything to me is like, well, how does that work? I'm always asking the question, how does that work? Oh, that was my interest my gifting i don't know if that's how you want to call it but that's the thing i excelled in well
1: gifting is 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 a good word yes it is okay when you were in school did you have any favorite teachers
0: ah yes i did in high school uh, my the teacher who made the greatest impact on me was mrs norwood uh, she was a math teacher but she took an interest in me for whatever the re- whatever reason and and she actually started me doing science fairs and math fairs and she would actually come to my house bring all the supplies and and work with me on getting a project ready and so that was i think at least 3 years of high school i, I first year i got honorable mention in the within the school project and then i think the next year we went to all dc and i might have gotten I, I got different awards at, at, as I moved up, and I attribute that to her because she really uh, was uh, very dedicated and committed to helping me. And um, so, yeah, so she would have been my the teacher who impacted me the most.
1: Did you, since you was in a segregated school, you're excelling in a curriculum that I think is probably could be considered very competitive. Did you ever encounter racism or sexism?
0: Um. Uh, so when I went to University of Maryland, so it wasn't at my high school, it was only Blacks, although, uh, like I said, had a few teachers, but not any from the teacher. Um, but when I went to University of Maryland, that was, that was back in 76. Um, that was when they were just starting to uh, segregate, believe it or not. I mean, I- integrate, and I um, I was uh, accepted as a math major, computer science minor, and you know, as a freshman, you go to your counselor and they kind of review your records whatever and whatever, um, and 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 make sure you're on a good track. So when I went for my interview with my counselor, he told me that this curriculum was too difficult for me, and it just changed the whole track of my at that time, my life, because I just didn't understand that, why it was too hard for him. But he didn't look at my grades from high school. He didn't look at my SAT scores. He just looked at me and said it was too hard. And so um, after that, I actually changed to nursing, and I had completed all my uh, educational work. I just needed to do my practical work for uh, nursing. But I I would say that the experience with him actually, it changed. The course of the the track that I was on, and like I said, I, it should have been directed in the area of engineering, which I ended up I ended up working. I work now, now with engineers and scientists. That's what I should have, where I should have been directed. But um, here I am. I still am successful, and even though I went, uh, it changed the course of my education. My first job was in computer science because. Even though I didn't graduate with that, the experience I got in high school um, and with the competition and all those kind of things, um, someone told me about a job in computer science, and I applied and I got it. So that's how I got back into computer science from my exposure in high school.
1: So your first job, tell me about that.
0: My first job, I was a software programmer, and that's where I, um, I worked for NASA as a contractor and I supported um, actually what we did was uh, that first company I worked for, we built um, their first antennas. We built antennas all over the world, actually. And some of those antennas are still in use. Uh, we call them 26 meter antennas. So they're really huge antennas. So uh, we we partnered with another company um, that did the building of the, uh, antennas, but we did the software to control the the, uh, the antennas. And so that was rewarding work. And we still use those those tracking sites that were created, we still use those antennas. Uh some of them been replaced but they're still in use. And that was back in eighty two.
1: Did you ever see that counselor again?
0: No. Don't no. You,
1: don't you wish you you do you ever think about it? <laughs> About, you know, how uh, well, he was trying to change
0: you? I think about I I asked myself where would I be now? But um I actually I, I think I I got some good breaks in life. And 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 I actually, you know, I worked with other people who um who didn't see my value um as I as I moved along even that program. I I um had people who because I had a math background, I work with. I've always worked with scientists, engineers, pr- other programmers, and I remember we had a problem with a system. And uh, this guy who had his PhD, he was on the board, and he was kind of drawing out through a math project, product, or or through a uh, process flow what he thought the problem was. And I said, I said, well, no, that's the problem. I said, this is the error here, and I kind of went up to the board and I showed him where the error was. <laughs> and so he called me arrogant. And I mean, I was just a young girl at that time. He called me arrogant and it caused me to really shrink back because I always thought I was part of the team and that we wanted to get this right. And so I, I thought I was contributing, but the fact that he, you know, that I he called me arrogant, it causes, caused me to shrink back and not be as aggressive as I could have been. And that's the only thing that I regret now is that, I could have been further along in my career, meaning, I mean, I'm a branch chief now, so that that's uh, significant. But I could have been probably like a SESer or something like that uh, because a lot of people who came along with me that I know in the industry, is a small industry, they have uh, surpassed me because they got the breaks, And, and I, I wouldn't stick my neck out to... Uh, Like I said, I served on review boards and things like that, but in terms of of trying to get promotions and things like that, uh, I didn't really seek it. People can really impact your life.
1: (laughs) Yes, they can.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yes, they can. So who motivated you as you was growing up and also in your young adult life?
0: Well, I come from a family of educators, both on my father's side and my on my mother's side, on my father's side, my, my Aunt Evelyn, she was an English teacher, and so and she left her job. And, and and then on my mother's side, uh, there were 12 of them, and uh, I know half of them went and received um, college. Some of them their PhDs, and uh, one actually was responsible for, Dr. Edison Jackson responsible for making, converting some schools from uh, from colleges to university so uh, th- it was never said to me you will go to college it was just understood you're going to college that was that, there's never even a optional thought that I wouldn't go to college so uh, my family i have had a supportive family and i say my mother and father uh, we couldn't have i couldn't have had a better mother and father because they just fully supported everything we did i say um When people say, like, the Cosby family was not real, I was like, in my house, it was. My parents would love for us to dress up and put on a show for them and all those kind of things. We could do anything, uh, almost hang from the chandelier. (laughs) My parents would think that was, (laughs) they would think we were funny or cute. Um, But, you know, you just knew you just, you had their full support had their full support. Uh, my parents weren't active uh, in, in a lot of things. They just focused on their children. But if, if I were to say one person, my mother was an entrepreneur. She she just would say she was going to do something. And she'd do it. She, um, and they invested in real estate. Um, they invested in helping other people to start businesses. They didn't say how we're going to do it. They just did it. I think the lives that my parents lived, they supported people, whether um providing them finances or just making going someplace, making a recommendation, all those things. And, and that's the kind of life I want to live. I want to have that kind of impact on people's lives. You see something in them, and you help them achieve it. You help to push them along. And I think uh, so my parents, both of them were those kind of people.
1: Now, like your grandparents were like that, too.
0: Yes. Yeah. And that's true. <laughs> in my blood. Good,
1: Good blood.
0: <laughs> Thank you.
1: You are listening to my interview with Alva Jackson. Proprietess of May Margaret's House, Bed and Breakfast in Reedville, Virginia. It once was her grandparents' ancestral home. Alva is also chief of systems with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. What is your earliest memory? of being discriminated against
0: i would say when i went to college that in university of Maryland was so huge that you didn't have a lot of friends so people didn't reach out to be friendly that's for sure but it was you know we went to class you would be in an auditorium with 200 300 people so you didn't it was kind of a, a could have been a lonely world even though they did have um uh, like a black student uni- student union, but it was a large, was such a large place. If anything, it was impersonal. I don't think they it, you didn't feel connected. You didn't feel no one uh, adopted you. Like when you went to when you were in school and the black schools, uh, the teachers would tell you if you get out of line or if the but they would do it in a loving ways because you knew that they were interested in you. And, and you know, college is different. College you're more independent, but you definitely didn't feel the love. <laughs> so, uh, I would say uh, entering in college it was a different world for me.
1: Once you went into college, that's when you had to be socializing with other people other than the people you grew up with or people of black people or people of color. All of a sudden you were interacting with people that were not that's what your memory of racism so it wasn't just a one-on-one thing it was just being in a different culture is that what you're saying
0: being in a different culture uh i wouldn't say one-on-one i i I think it, it was a culture shock but i i'm not a shy person and i'm not a person that I'll speak to anyone, talk to, have a conversation with. And he just didn't feel a part, didn't feel, you know, uh, so whether that was racist or whether that was, I, I don't know, but I know that I didn't feel like I was a part of the university. And I just attended there, and that was all. Let me also share um, one thing. I know I was on, I was on the gymnastic team there. I, I joined the gymnastic team as the exhibition team, and we would kind of travel locally and put on shows. And uh, I remember uh, there was one girl uh, that was loud and, and and she was really friendly to me. You know, she said, "Alva, come back here and sit with me." You know, and I was like, she was sitting in the back, and I was like, "Okay." I remember her name was Karen. Karen. She was so friendly. And uh, so I was sitting back there, but Karen was making all the noise that she normally makes, and uh, which everybody laughed about. So when we got to one of the events, the coach, one of the coaches, I think there were only two black people uh, on that team. And when we got where we were going, the coach came up to me and she he said, "Why much? Why must do people always be so loud?" And I, I was not. I was just kind of looked like like saying, "Hmm." But one of the other guys on the team heard him say that to me and and apparently told him that it was Karen who was loud out but wasn't saying anything. And uh, so he actually came back and kind of gave me apologies. He says, well, whoever the guy was said that wasn't you, so I, I apologize or something. But it was like, he said, why must y'all always be so loud And and rowdy or something, and I didn't know what he was talking about. So that was an encounter, but the whole team was white, and I, Karen definitely made me feel accepted. She did. <laughs> but she, uh, uh, the other team, it was, it was okay.
1: Oh, yeah. They, there are those little boxes that they like to put you in. Mm-hmm. Racism like to put you in. Mm-hmm. I know that you would do what we would say, come back down the road, like during the summertime uh, from D.C. back to Wheatville to uh, be with your family, your grandparents. Did you do that a lot?
0: I sure did. We came down here to visit often In the summertime or on a school break, we would come here and uh, visit. So it was uh, definitely a break from being in the city. And, and I know I told someone the story of um, how I was at my uh, my parents, maternal grandparents' house and, and I went down to Chicken Cooper and I shooed all the chickens out with shoot shoot, you know, and they were just running out, stuff like that. And then I ran in the house and sat down like I was reading a book or something. And my grandfather was like, where is that girl? She had all the chickens out. And I uh, said, uh, and what's funny about that is I'm afraid of a chicken now. And I can't imagine as a little child that it didn't bother me at all. But So coming to the country was exciting.
1: What were some of the favorite things that you would do?
0: Eat crabs and hard-short crabs here. Oh, my goodness. Would just love to come eat the crabs. And then my aunt, she had uh, corn in the back of her yard. So I could just go back to uh, the back of her yard and pick some corn and say, this is what I want for dinner. And she would cook it. And that was the best corn in the world best corn in the world it was so sweet just put some butter on it oh my goodness <laughs> corn and crabs are the two things i remember <laughs>
1: mm. white corn
0: yes uh-huh the mm. white corn
1: you know it so <laughs> uh with the crabs did you have the northern neck ginger
0: ale oh northern neck ginger ale i actually tried was carrying that uh here at my margaret's house just so people could experience i just would have cans out and people could take it and uh um, northern neck Gender Rare was the best. It still is the best, <laughs> if you could find it.
1: Mm. Like <laughs> hen's teeth. <finally. laughs> hoping that it'll come back, you know, some kind of I'm way.
0: hoping so, too.
1: Yeah, there is a organization uh, that's been uh, founded on Facebook by Stephanie Johnson, and uh, she's trying really, really hard to get people to share uh, memories and also to get support and try to get Coca-Cola to bring back these you know, regional drinks, uh, Northern mm-hmm. Neck being one of them. We're talking regional, something about living on the Northern Neck. What do you think embodies what it is to be a person that was born and lived on the Northern Neck?
0: First of all, it's so rich in history, In African American history is rich in the untold stories of many people and families, when you hear those stories, it's just like, oh, my goodness, you just can't just imagine your ancestors um, being here and doing things. For instance, my grandfather and his brother, when he built this house, they built it after work. They would come up here and clear the land. And I don't know how long it took, but those kind of memories and those kind of thoughts keep me anchored or, or in this community, plus it's a beautiful place to live. It's, it's it's wonderful down here, peaceful. After living in the city life all my life, to come here, it's just a restful, peaceful place.
1: Do you think that there is a need for change or improvements on the next?
0: Yeah, there. You know, you can tell the difference, and the people who were raised here and the people who they call them come here. People who came here, opposed to people who were raised here. Um, there's definitely a, a racial divide. However, what makes the difference are the people who come here, and they come. They've been exposed to uh, multicultural living or whatever, and so they they respond to you differently. Um, most people are always pleasant, but there's definitely, you know, there's not much mixing of the races from the people who live here among people who come here, They, they, we do venture out and, and I don't necessarily I call myself a return here, not a come here. <laughs> so um, but yeah, you can tell the difference on the people and their attitudes in general. There's always exceptions. There, There's some people who are just as kind as they can be and help you any way they can, but you can feel the racial divide.
1: You see growth being on the horizon not only on the northern neck, but for you as an owner of a bed and breakfast?
0: I think so. Uh, Most of my customers are white because uh, a lot of blacks were not really exposed to bed and breakfast, so I'm getting more blacks now because they're looking for a black-owned business. But I think the community um, values my presence here. If you read my reviews, people, I've heard people say that they were other places, not here, and mention Mamagra's Margaret's house, and up and someone goes, "Are you kidding me? I've been to Ma Margaret's house." So not necessarily here, but other places they know about Mamagra's Margaret's house, and so now. The community is starting to know about Margot's house but it, it took people coming here to tell them about Mamarga's house and their experience for them to kinda of look up and go, Well maybe they are a viable organization. But just like Tavern who came to me, they they so there are certain people I've established friendships with and relationships and uh, and they are helping me to grow. So do
1: you anticipate or would like to see my Margaret brand be extended or expand? And where would you start?
0: Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, my children are all, are constantly on me. They're like, Mama, how come you, we need you to put together a recipe book. That they want me to write a book. I haven't decided to do that yet. I have I have actually started putting my recipes down on paper so they're not just in my head uh, so it won't be lost. And also, I, I, I'm telling you, I look at places down here and I go, see, I could buy that and I would make it whatever. And I'm starting to actually formulate ideas in my head about how I want to expand the land here. I want this to be um, continue to be like a respite for people who come from the Washington metropolitan area, but creating walk uh, walking spaces and and various things like that. That's for here on this location. But there are so many things I, I envision that I I would be able to do. I branched out. I've looked at properties and said, "Hmm, I'm gonna keep my eye on, eye out on that place." I've had a restaurant. I'm not sure that I want to do that again, but there's one place that I'm looking at. I said, if that comes available, I might open up another on my Margaret's kitchen. <laughs> so I'm just kind of putting it out in the atmosphere. I'm not going to say what I'm looking at, but. No. I...
1: no. Okay. <laughs> Don't let your left hand know what the right hand No, is.
0: that's right. Mm-hmm. But I've, I've kind of been looking and I said, hmm. So we'll see. See if my if mom's my intuition, if I have some of that about what's a good deal and what's not a good deal is that continues to work for me. <laughs> oh, I have
1: no doubt that you will be <laughs> successful in anything that you put your mind to. Mm, thank you, you. You you was talking about a recipe book. Mm-hmm. What are some of the foods that you, th- you know, we talk about crabs and we talk about Northern Neck, but what are some of the other foods that would be considered, you know, staples of the Northern Neck that you Really, really love.
0: Um, we used to always eat um, bigger than they. They would blowfish, but they called them um, sugar toes. Sugar toes, yeah. Where we used to eat those all the time, and now they become a delicacy. So, um, it, it, they're not so readily available. But uh, that's definitely a staple of this area. Sugar toes, um, oysters, oysters. My uncle used to make oyster cake for breakfast. And and you look forward to eating those oyster cakes when you came down here, even though as a child, I didn't want to eat that little green thing in the <laughs> middle. I just wanted the flavor of the oyster and the cake, but now I eat it all. <laughs> so I would say oysters, sugar toast, fried potatoes, I do that here. I mean, fried apples, I do that here. Uh, that's when you, you do those green apples and you keep the skin on them. Mm-hmm. So it's not apple sauce, but it's fried apples. Those are some of the things you... Look forward to, uh, but the seafood and the fish, the cod, the salted cod uh, with potatoes, ha- hackfish. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't know if you get hackfish anywhere else, but it's definitely a staple down here. And that is something very expensive now as well.
1: I can remember my mom talking about hackfish, and I don't mm-hmm. even know if i ever eaten it.
0: Really? Oh, my uh, goodness. You're yeah. missing something good. Okay.
1: Well, I know where I'm coming.
0: <laughs> I take days to fix it because you got to soak it, get all that salt out of it. They put the salt on it to preserve it. Exactly. Uh, But to cook it right, get all that salt out of it, and then with some potatoes and bacon with the rind on it. Oh my goodness! You got a meal for you, and some onions, fried onions, (laughs) boiled,
1: boiled fish.
0: That's a That's, Bull, a, that's right. fish
1: for 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 breakfast. That's right. Yeah. Potatoes. That's right. The bacon dripping mm-hmm. on the potatoes. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you're good, you get some whole cake. Yeah. Whole cake and uh, <laughs> king syrup, which that's I, I could, right. I could do without the syrup, but you know, hey, it's all good to me. A
0: customer asked me. They were like. I bet you don't even know anything about kink up, and I had to go get the bottle and bring it to them. They're like, "Oh my goodness!" I was like, "Don't, don't, don't put anything past me." <laughs> and, and in the glass,
1: please, no plastic. Yeah, that's right, that's right. <laughs> what advice would you give to the young people who want to stay, trying to decide, or leaving the Northern Neck? What would you want to tell them?
0: I would say take advantage of every opportunity that. Uh, before you, whether it's educational or whatever comes your way, take it advantage of it and use it to your fullest extent. I think the Northern Neck is about to open up. I really do, especially with the 301 Bridge, building that second bridge. I think it's going to open up tourism this way. So I think the young people might want to stay here and think about how they can contribute, how they can create an industry that will support uh, tourism. And that's what I would advise them.
1: Do you think that new ways of communicating or a different perspective of how people are perceived, how not to put people into boxes, do you think that that is something that's ever going to change as far as the people that live on the Northern Neck and the people that are coming into the Northern Neck bringing some of those perceptions with them? You think that's going to change ever?
0: Um, I think education, having training about unconscious bias, all those kind of things. It needs to happen to open people's eyes because I'm not sure some people even realize how biased or how much they put people in boxes. And, you know, it's okay. It's clear that I'm black and someone else is white. But what does that mean to me? It means I love my blackness, you love your whiteness and together we can just have a great time. Uh, have an appreciation for whatever people bring, uh for whoever people are that I don't want to sound religious, but I, I just believe that God made everyone special and there's some gifting or something of value in every person. So just having that mindset and helping others who have that mindset and um like I say, I'll talk to anybody. I talk to anyone and
1: Sometimes people are surprised when you talk to them. You know. Well, Ms. Jackson, I I am uh, in awe of you and inspired by you. And I truly appreciate everything that you have done and that you're doing and you definitely is sort of you know the diamond that's sitting right there and, and I'm hoping that people will be drawn to your establishment and I'm really hoping that uh you're going to see some real growth some expansion and uh the the flavor and the hospitality that is uh Ma margaret and uh the northern neck you know, you embody that. I continue to follow you, and hopefully, be able to, you know, come down and have that hackfish, maybe a <laughs> uh, a soft crab sandwich. And since we can't get
0: yes, Northern that's a, right. We can't get northern
1: <laughs> ginger ale. We're just gonna have to come up with our own concoction.
0: Uh.
1: <laughs> and uh, I, I appreciate you very much.
0: Well, thank you, Pixie. I appreciate the uh, offer to be on this interview. I, I consider it such a great uh, privilege, and thank you for having me.
1: Oh, the privilege is mine. Well, thank you very much, Now uh, have a nice dry day today.
0: Well, it looks like it's about to storm, so uh, I will, I'm going to hunker down and <laughs> hope it will be okay. Okay. All right, thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye. Where once black people were told to stay in their place, it seemed our place is with the stars and navigating the heavens. Continue to reach for your goals because that is how we roll while being black on the Northern Neck. Visit the MayMargaret'sHouse.com website for more information on Alva's bed and breakfast. The Music by Robert A. Hall This program is in memory of my cousin, Lisa Marie Hingry, who is flying amongst the heavens.
0: Thank you for listening.